We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of the Josh Hendrickson Show. It's presented by Twisted Tea, like all of our content at MPW Digital. We'll tell you about Twisted Tea in a moment, but first, uh, I want to get into the show. Josh here as we take this on Wednesday. It's August the 9th, that afternoon. As we get started, I like to put timestamps on shows like this where sometimes we talk about topical things where stories change daily. Josh, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm watching uh, watching on my computer as we speak. I was telling you, Josh and I are both Cubs fans. It's part of the genesis of our friendship, I think. Um the Cubs, as we record this, the uh, the Cubs are in second place in the National League Central. Some game and a half at the, as of this very moment behind the Milwaukee Brewers. The Rockies and the Brewers headed to the bottom of the fifth. It's five to five. Milwaukee has a chance to end it. The uh, Rockies just went out in order, down in order, I should say, in the in the top of the ninth. I was asking you, Josh, and so I'm curious. You're a very thoughtful, pragmatic, intelligent, analytical person, but when it comes to the Cubs, does all that get thrown to the wayside? It has recently. (laughs) All season, I've kind of just been telling myself, oh, just, you know, this should be like a fun season, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, low expectations, about two years, things will probably, you know, they'll be really competitive, you know. And even up to the trade deadline, I was thinking, well, you know, they should probably sell some of these guys because it's just, you know, they're just not ready to compete for a World Series. And the last after the last few weeks, I'm just like, nope, we're going to win the division. This is it. And maybe we can make a run. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's me. Uh, there was a moment in the National Series a good month ago when – They'd lost the night before. They gave up a couple runs in the first inning. And I thought, you know what? So that's it. Tonight's it. Tonight's the last, the last night. And they came back and won that game like 17 to four. And I still was pretty checked out. But since then they started winning and winning and winning. And to say that I'm checked in now is an understatement. I've I've hit that point. It's the first and it's fun. It's the first time in a in a long time. And they they were competitive in 2020. They won the division, but that doesn't really count. I don't think anybody watched that season and thought, oh, this is really baseball. There was no fans in the stands. It was just, it was like getting to watch really good teams have practices. <laughs> um, 
so it's the first time since like 2019 that this team's been competitive and I'm hanging on every pitch now and I'm watching the Reds and I'm watching the Brewers and I'm cheering for the other teams, right? And it's um it is kind of fun though. I mean, I it, it when your team's competitive, it's fun. Over the weekend when they played the Braves and I'm I've watched the Braves a lot this year. Um I think the Braves are the best team in 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 baseball and the Braves popped the Cubs on Friday, and there was a little part of me that went, "Okay, well, here we go. We're gonna get we're gonna get whacked around this weekend and crash to reality." And there's a little part of me that was kind of prepared for it. I justified it in my head, going, "You know, it's time to turn your attention to football anyway. You got to you got to write, you got to work." And then um, the Cubs come back and win two really fun, entertaining baseball games, and you're like, "Oh well, maybe," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now you're just. And now you're just hooked. So anyway, uh, be. It's always, uh, it's always, always interesting. All right, um, I'm gonna get to a few things. We started with something two weeks ago. We teased it, so I, I want to make sure we get to it. And that's this digital currency social score thing that's going on. It's it's not a, a widespread story in our country yet, but there's people that are out there in the in the internet land that warn you hey this this digital currency thing is not where everyone knows exactly where your money went exactly what you spend it on and they can possibly tie it to your political views to what you do socially uh how realistic is that 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 big brother could know everything and therefore impact your access to your money I think this is something that doesn't get enough attention or at least the attention it deserves. And I say that as somebody who has been listening to people talk about this for, you know, decades. And this was one of the big concerns actually with uh, everything going to the internet. One of the big things that people were concerned about is how do you make transactions because if you think about most of human history, you were exchanging, you know, gold or silver coins or something, or you were uh, exchanging dollar bills. And all of a sudden with the internet, you, you can't do that. But, and so why does that matter? It matters because if I, if I give you a $20 bill, you and I both know that I paid you $20, but nobody else knows anything about that. Right. Uh, same thing if we're using, you know, gold and silver coins, whatever. Physical currency has a sort of layer of privacy to it. Your transactions are private. Nobody knows what you're buying or when you're buying it. No one knows what your balance is. There's this layer of privacy. And with the internet, it became apparent that there was going to have to be something else that came along to replace physical cash like you were going to need you know people used to refer to it as like an e-cash you need some electronic version of of cash and the reason they talked about that is they said look when commerce goes online everything's going to be recorded you're going to have to go through a credit card or a bank or whoever and so every single transaction that you make there's a record of that transaction somewhere and people value privacy and i think that's another distinction we need to make is there's a distinction between privacy and secrecy so a lot of times when you say well people need privacy the immediate thing that people say is like, well, what are you trying to hide? I was like, well, you're not necessarily trying to hide anything. Like yeah. privacy is choosing not to reveal certain things to the world. 
That doesn't, that's, that's different than hiding things from the world. And so actually, you know, in recent years there, you know, lots of people have kind of figured out what, uh, you know, about all this like cryptocurrency stuff, but the original cryptocurrency is Bitcoin and Bitcoin was kind of created from people who were worried about this very thing. So the idea was, is, uh, somebody need, they were, they were motivated by the desire to create some electronic version of cash. So how can you exchange some monetary value uh, without any trusted third party? Like how can you how can you do this online? And it seems like you shouldn't be able to do this because if you're exchanging something online, you there's generally going to be some kind of intermediary, right? If if you're buying something from me online i want to make sure that you actually have the money to to buy it from me and you you're yeah. not going to mail me cash right you're not right, going to right. you know and so there there's always some intermediary whether it's your bank or whether it's you know uh you know the bank that you know is providing the funding from your credit card company th- those sorts of things and so that's really where like bitcoin emerged out of was this desire to have an electronic version of cash where you could exchange monetary value without any trusted third party, without anybody knowing uh, what was going on or without them necessarily having a record of, of this transaction. And I think that because I knew about all this stuff, I knew that people were thinking about this, you know, for, for decades. And now I think people are starting to finally get the picture because we're starting to see people who are saying like, Hey, I've had my bank account shut down. The bank won't tell me why. And that naturally makes people conspiratorial. Like, why are you doing this? And you know, some of the people who have had this done to them are very politically active. They're people who have very strong political views and maybe unpopular political views and this naturally raises concerns with people. Like, do I have to worry that if I say something that my bank account is going to be shut down? Do I have to worry that we're moving towards something like what China wants to do with social credit scores and, and things like that? They kind of have done. Yeah. To some degree, China already has. Yeah. And also, I think the other issue is, is that the governments around the world have started talking about central bank digital currency. And so I think a lot of people have a tendency to be like, oh, it's just going to be kind of sort of like Bitcoin, but, you know, the government will do it. And really, that's that's not what's going on. I mean, it depends on how you want to think about this. But a central bank digital currency would essentially be money that is, you know, you, you essentially have a bank account with the central bank kind of thing. Uh, so you would have an account at the Fed and... Whenever you're making transactions, then the Fed is the one that's processing those transactions. And in the United States, you know, there a lot of people aren't concerned about this because they're like, well, you know, we already have a banking system. It would be optional for you to have this kind of a thing. And, you know, we don't really have to worry about, you know, the political repercussions. And, and my point that I always make is if you're if you if your belief that you don't have to worry about political repercussions is just based on historical experience, that's the wrong thing to go on. What you really need to be thinking about is you need to think about how people could abuse that technology, how people could abuse that privilege. 
And it's not hard to imagine that if you have a world of central bank digital currency where people have an account with the with the central bank, it would be even easier for the government to step in and, you know, get certain transactions blocked. And you can certainly imagine dystopian scenarios where, you know, you go into the uh, you go to the gas station and you can't pump any gas because they say, well, you've already consumed too much gas and we're trying to reduce carbon emissions. Or you go and you want to buy a steak uh, from your local butcher and the, and you go to process the transaction. No, you've already ate, uh, you know, enough beef cows emit methane and you've already exceeded your methane emissions or, or something like that. You've and, exceeded your beef consumption yeah. allowance for the yeah. week, month, whatever. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's easy for people to dismiss these things as dystopian scenarios, but what you have to think about when you're creating these kinds of things is how can they go wrong and how can they be abused? And that's something that we, we talk about on here all the time is that, you know, I mean, the founding fathers, when they were, when, when they were debating the constitution, you know, they were all talking about, you know, uh, how power could be, you know, could be abused and how do you balance out that power and, and, and all of these sorts of things. And you need the same sort of debates going on about, uh, central bank digital currency and these sort of political uh, interference in in banking and transactions and all that kind of stuff. So, one of the things that got my attention, and I don't know anything about this guy, it's it's, it's on Twitter or X or whatever you call it now. He's got four hundred and eight thousand followers. Uh, Joseph Mercola osteopathic physician, best-selling author, founder of the number one natural health site. He uh, tweeted, let me see if I can find the tweet again. He tweeted, the social credit scheme to topple Mercola. Last month, J.P. Morgan Chase canceled all my business bank accounts along with the personal accounts of our CEO, CFO, and their respective spouses and children. Over the three past three-plus years, countless people and organizations have been cut off from online payment services and banking services for their views alone. What makes our current case unique is that Chase is expanding the punishment to key employees of my business and their families, people who literally have nothing to do with me. Uh, He says, what's certain is that Chase Bank is not acting on some high ethical or moral ground in addition to ignoring evidence of money laundering, except by other people and all this stuff. They're, they're, They're after him. My concern is that the our government has become so politicized, so almost like as we approach football season, you know, you, you cheer for the red team, you get on that side. You cheer for the blue team, you get on that side. There, there is no fraternization. We're not going to meet. There's nothing. We're and it, there's not even going to be any gladiators in the field. We're just going to. You're going to sit on your side. We're going to sit on our side. We're going to yell at each other. We're not going to get anywhere. Um, whoever has the power influences I mean can a JP Morgan Chase Bank get away with this? I mean, as long as the people that they support are in power, what happens when there's a flip in the power, if there's ever a flip in the power? Does does JP Morgan Chase just flip to that side then and, and now you punish the other side? How does that I know I'm not making a lot of sense here, but at the same time I maybe I am. How does this how does that work? And and if your if your bank accounts can be Frozen. The, the, the people say, "Well, what, why would they do that?" Well, to keep you silent. If you're scared that your money would be accessed, that you wouldn't be able to access your funds, 
you're going to be a lot less tempted to to be vocal about your your views on climate change or your views on transgender or, or uh, males biological males competing in in women's sports or whatever the case may be maybe you 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 believe the laptop's real and you you're upset about hunter or you're you 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 believe Trump's been unfairly persecuted, or you 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 believe that Trump had the election stolen, or whatever the case may be. Just using things, they'll they'll punish you. Well, you won't mention those things anymore. Now you're policing thought, which is First Amendment stuff. You get right to the core of who we are as a nation. Am I right to say that that this is the slope, and that if you get to that place where Hey, you can't really even think these things anymore, and you damn sure can't say them. Your speech isn't protected anymore. Well, you're no longer a democracy. That moment. Yeah. So there's a couple of things here. One, my biggest issue here is that the banks, when when these kinds of stories are reported, the banks never are offering an explanation for what happened, and there needs to be some kind of explanation for what happened. Because if you don't have an explanation for what happened, people are going to just form their own conclusions. And so, because we don't know how we we don't know how many people this is happening to, right? We only see the reports, and the reports tend to be of people who are not necessarily like famous, but they're people who are well enough known that somebody will write a story about them. And so, we don't know how frequently this is happening. We don't know if it's if they're being targeted for for speech purposes or or whatever but we're we're not being given really any explanation and when you're not being given any explanation that's unacceptable and also even even setting that aside it's going to naturally lead to conspiratorial thinking yes like we've talked about this before whenever you just do do things without any explanation that seem really bad people start assigning motives to you people start coming up with theories about what's really going on people start attributing things to you that um, that, are, that are maybe not true, but they have to fill that void. They're looking for for some way to to replace it. But I also think that this is something that we need to be concerned about more broadly, even when it comes to Twitter itself. Like Elon Musk has said, oh, he wants this to be like the everything app. And so, yeah, he wants you posting things there. He wants you putting videos up. He wants you, you know, tweeting or whatever a tweet is called now. Yeah. Live, live streaming. Right. He wants he wants everything. Yeah, right. He, he wants you to do all that stuff, but he also wants to create a marketplace. He also wants to be a. He wants it to be uh, an app that you use for payments. He wants you to be able to buy things directly in the app. And we've already seen how Twitter has been politicized in the past, and we've already seen how it was politicized in the past. We've already seen how the government has interfered with people's First Amendment rights because when the government starts calling up Twitter and saying, "Hey, you know, you need to." Uh, you know, you need to do something about this person that's posting. Here's this a list of people right. that need to be shadow banned. Here's yeah. a list of people that need to be removed from your platform. Here's that happened. Yeah. And so if you imagine what if Elon Musk's vision of Twitter had already been implemented when the government was contacting Twitter under the previous regime, they would not only be shutting down your ability to tweet. They might be take you know they might be shutting down you know they're shutting down your payments account you can't uh, you can't sell things on there you can't access your balance you you know you're just you're completely locked out and I think that that's actually the best analogy for why all of this stuff is really bad is that 
we're increasingly getting to a point where everything is done online, everything is done electronically, and when everything's done electronically, every single aspect of your life has some trusted third party involved. And what happens when you can't trust those third parties? Or what happens when the government puts pressure on those third parties? This is a huge problem. And not enough people are thinking about this. Not enough people are talking about this. Like this is, this is incredibly significant because we're talking about people's livelihoods. When you start talking about people's bank accounts, you know, this is how people survive. This is how people pay their bills. And then you wake up one morning, you can't access your bank account. Then, then what do you do? And if it's being done for political reasons, then, you know, you're sort of weaponizing the financial system against your political opponents. You're not sort of doing it. You're doing it. At which point you become a bit of a banana republic. Right? I mean, you if 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 the coup is is it's one of the reasons as we sort of transition to another topic that I want to get your your thoughts on. The last time we met, the former president had only been in, uh, indicted twice. He's now been indicted a third time, this time in Washington DC uh on J6 charges. Got a lot of thoughts on it, but I want to get yours. Um, I, I've listened to a, I've listened to a lot. I've listened to people who who believe the charges are bogus. I've listened to people who believe the charges are are very valid. Uh, both sides agree on one thing. Why now? Why not eighteen months ago? This this happened on January the sixth of twenty twenty one. All of the facts that are in that indictment, I've read it, all of the facts that are in that indictment were available at a minimum a year ago. In many cases, they were available June, July of 2021. Um, the initial decision was not to pursue it, let it go. It was let, the, let, it, let it be handled politically in, in terms of, you know, um, impeachment and those type things, the political constitutional process, which it was, it went through that. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was impeached post presidency and then uh, acquitted by the Senate found not guilty. So was what it was. Why do you think it's happening now? Is it, is it, do you, are you suspicious of why it's happening now? Do you think it's tied to the fact that Trump, against all odds seems to be surging in the polls. The New York times just literally days before this had come out. The New York times Marist college had come out with a poll that had Trump and Joe Biden and essentially a dead heat. I think that actually one of the benefits of living in the times we are living in is that people are giving their opinions all the time on all of these different media platforms. And you can, and so it makes it very, very easy for you to determine whether people have any principles or whether people are entirely motivated by ideology and politics. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And I say that because it's it's not hard to remember in 2016 when Donald Trump was running for president, there was a famous moment in the debate when Hillary said something like, oh, if you know Donald was president, blah, 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 blah. And then he replied, well, if I was president, you'd be in jail. Yeah. And some people thought it was funny, but the but most people, especially like the talking heads on TV and and politicians and stuff, were like, "Oh, this is terrible. This is you don't speak like that. We're not a country that puts political opponents in prison." And you know, a big part of his campaign was like saying, "Oh, like we you know we need to lock her up. We need to lock her up. Yeah. You know, she's they would she, chanted yeah. at all the rallies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And then when he got into office. He explicitly said, like, hey, we're not going to like, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not going to do that. Like, it's time to move on. We're not going to do that. And I think for some people, like, that was a relief because they were like, okay, he's not really he's not really going to do it. Just bluster and whatever. But you have all of these people who at the time were saying, like, oh, this is terrible. This is bad for our country. This is bad for, you know, our democracy, all, all these kinds of things. And now this is not being said and people like to say, well, this is because, you know, Trump is different. But we've been told that Trump is different for, you know, seven years. And I think this is kind of but this is kind of the fundamental issue. It becomes really, really hard to trust any of these people and it becomes really hard to trust any of these people because their arguments for the last seven years have been uh, two things. One, this is it. We got him. We got him. He, he did some terrible thing. We got him. This is it. And then yep. it, it was never, it was never true. Then the other thing, you know, that, that they, that they talk about is that, you know, he's, he's the worst. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to do that. You know, like, and everything is like a five alarm fire. And at a certain point, when people live through this and you see that all of these things that they said were going to happen didn't happen, all of these things that they said was a five alarm fire was not really a big deal. People get completely desensitized to that and they're not. And so now if you actually have something serious to bring, who's going to take it that serious other than the people who are still, who, 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 you know, are too sort of, um, they have their their head too far in the sand to realize that a lot of that stuff that you know people said was was uh, going to happen or that was going to be terrible turned out not to happen or not to be terrible. And my biggest concern 
with all of this is not even really about like the legality of it. My biggest concern is what it looks like and how people are going to interpret it. You have the Justice Department for the President of the United States prosecuting the former President of the United States who also happens to be the leading candidate to run against him. At this point, the prohibitive favorite right. to get the Republican nomination. That is banana republic stuff. And so, and look, I'm not saying that it's never permissible to do something like that. I'm not saying that like, you know, that that's just something that you should never do. What I'm saying is, is that the threshold for doing this has to be high enough to where it's very, very clear to almost everyone involved, except maybe some just diehard supporters that, yeah, something really bad happened here and something needs to be done about it. And with the documents case, I think, like, legally speaking, I think Trump is in a hard place with the, with the documents case. But with this January 6th thing, it just, that one just seems like it's just completely political. And you cannot... You cannot have that happen and you cannot do that if it, if it is politically motivated or even if it's just perceived to be politically motivated. Because once you do that, that's it. Because from now on, that becomes the game. This is why we refer to banana republics as banana republics because this doesn't just happen like one time and then the, one, and then the guy just goes along and, you know, and it's just kind of like corrupt. No, no, no. The next guy comes along and wins an election and then he does it to... to to the last guy. Well, like, I mean, it's not in. I mean, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility at this point, right? I mean, Biden is not a popular president. He appears to have a potential slew of legal problems involving his son and and foreign monies and and things of that nature. I'm not saying he's guilty. It's but it's out there, and and you know there there's. If you wanted to make a case against Joe Biden just based on what you read in the Wall Street Journal and what you read on uh, the Internet, you, you could put the shell of a case together. You have to prove it, but you understand what I'm saying. You can make the allegations. So Joe is, next November, Joe Biden loses. Not, not, not unrealistic. He's not polling well. Um, I mean, it's conceivable that a... Convi at this point, convicted felon appealing his case out on bond wins the White House and then uses what is now his Justice Department to prosecute the former president, former vice president, and his political rival and his family. That now, if I'd, if I'd written that story 20 years ago, you'd have said that's a little much. Yet here we are. Now, is that likely? It's not. But what I just explained to you is not completely far-fetched. It could, it could conceivably happen that Trump appeals his case. From everything I've heard from legal people, including legal people who sort of lean to the left, they think that it would be a case that very likely upon conviction would get appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court. That this is a case that the Supreme Court would take on because it's about First Amendment stuff. Did did Donald Trump 
believe that the election was stolen from him? Did he, be, did he believe that when he said the things that he said? Did he, or did he know that it was not true and he incited an insurrection? I don't know. Let somebody else decide. But it's from a, apparently from a legal standpoint, it's the kind of thing that most people believe it will, it would get to the Supreme court. Well, by the time it got to the Supreme court, it's going to be past November of 2024. We will have held an election, an election where whoever loses won't trust the outcome. And it's conceivable that you could literally have a person on bond, out on bail, I guess, appealing his case with the talking heads going back and forth each night on on television about whether or not Trump's case should be thrown out, whether his conviction should be overturned being sworn into the White House. Barack Obama was listening to a, a podcast that I've grown to really like. It's called uh, Breaking Points. It's kind of down the middle. It presents both sides. And they were talking about how Barack Obama recently had a, uh, I guess, a lunch with President Biden and warned him of Trump's political viability at this point. They were saying they thought it was Biden's way of being able to say, hey, look, if the, I mean, not Biden, Obama's way of being able to say down the road if it happens, hey, I warned him. Well, this isn't on me. I didn't take him lightly. Again, New York Times Marist, which typically runs four or five points favorably towards Democrats over what happens, had them recently at 45 to 45. This is a close race between two, frankly, wildly unpopular people. That, that both are incredibly flawed. But what I just laid out could happen. I don't know how anyone could hear that and go, oh, yeah, that, that'd be good for our country. That's a good place for us to go. That, that projects, a, that projects a, a vision of strength to our political um, adversaries and, and, and allies alike. Yeah, and there's just this weird thing that goes on where people are like, well, let's just uh, let's debate the finer points of like, the law surrounding confidential documents or like, let's talk about the finer points of proving that he knowingly, you know, uh, encouraged all this behavior on January 6th, even though he knew that he really lost and he was just, you know, playing them. First of all, it's not clear to me that he knows that he, that he lost. Now I realize that the man is full of bluster, but their evidence that he knows that he lost is that there were people in the government telling him, oh, no, you lost. Well, but he also had advisors telling him, no, it was stolen from you. We have evidence. We're going to we're going to go get this evidence and, you know, we're going to prove it. So maybe he knows those people were full of it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he. Maybe maybe he believed them. Also, you know, the, the very people within the government who are telling him that he lost are not the people that he trusted to begin with. And so it's very hard to argue that, well, he knew he lost because these people that he doesn't trust told him that he lost. That's that that's really hard. But but my point is, is that everybody's getting bogged down in this minutia of like, well, what is the law and how do we interpret the law? And the, and I get that because on some level, what we're all trying to figure out is how far is this going to go? Is he going to get convicted? Like what, you know, uh, what are the merits of this kind of thing? But I think there's not enough discussion of how unprecedented this is. And there's also not a discussion like if you like, let's say that your biggest concern 
is that Donald Trump gets back into the White House. Let's say that that's your biggest concern politically. Is this the best strategy for you? I don't think so. I don't either. No. I mean, I think that this backfires. I mean, I think that because if you are seen as doing this for the wrong reasons, you're going to lose. And and not only that, but you can do long-term damage to the country because if you get to a point where you just have like two groups of people with irreconcilable differences having elections, how do you think that that's going to go? Like it's not, this is not going to go well. It's not, you know, you think that when you make every election life and death, would you be surprised to find that people are trying to manipulate results or people are trying to figure out ways to get people elected that are maybe not legal or that are maybe legal but unethical or whatever. You know, like there there are things, it wouldn't be surprising. And so if you just keep pushing people to believe that things are rigged or that you're going to punish your political opponents or whatever, at a certain point, you get two groups with irreconcilable differences who know that the difference between winning and losing is life and death. And so if the, and so if, if the choice is between life and death, then you're going to do anything by any means necessary to prevent death. And so this just makes everything far worse uh, than, than it is now and far worse than we can actually imagine when you, when you think about it, because it's not just what happens. We can, we can make predictions about what could potentially happen by looking at other places but the bigger cost is what are we giving up and what we're giving up, what we would be giving up if, you know, we end up going down this road where you have all of these political prosecutions and you have this back and forth is, you know, we're potentially giving up uh, what what I would suggest to be is the greatest government ever discovered by man. It's a headline in the Wall Street Journal today. <laughs> this is crazy. It's a Wall Street Journal. It's pretty level-headed Publication, my opinion. Donald Trump's 2024 campaign plans. Donald Trump's 2024 campaign plans collide with strategy to stay out of jail. Former President frets he will be stuck in courtroom instead of on the trail. His lawyers worry about his attacks on prosecutors and judges. You know, it's it's interesting because. November 2024 feels like a million miles away, right? We're getting ready to start another semester. You've got, you were talking about leaving the Ole Miss campus a little while ago to come here, and uh, the 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 sororities are in work week right now because the the incoming uh, girls are getting ready for rush. They're moving into the dorms, I guess today. Uh, you know, the, the the town's full of people that don't know how to drive in our town yet, and and the town's nutty and. We're we're about to start a football season. Ole Miss is going to play Mercer on September the second, and then they're going to go down to New Orleans on, on September the ninth, and all that stuff, right? And then it's, before you know it, it's going to be Halloween, and then it's going to be Thanksgiving. We're going to have the World Series. You and I are going to obsess over what is Shohei going to do, and then we're going to have Christmas, and and, and so it's like November of twenty twenty four. That's a million miles away, and in some ways it is, and in some ways it's really not. The first primaries in january like what i just described to you as soon as that's over we hey happy new year we watch the bowl games or whatever nfl playoffs are going on no we're having primary and then before you know it, it's march it's super tuesday and 
odds are someone will have either clinched the nomination or will be so close to it that it will be a formality. And I, I was I was thinking about this this morning. We were talking, uh, Chase Parham and I on the Oxford Exxon podcast, we're talking about how this time, we were talking football, and this time next year we'll be getting ready for Texas and Oklahoma and the 12-team playoff, and it's going to be chaotic and crazy. And I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, it's going to be nothing compared to what's going on in news because it's not inconceivable. This is Wall Street Journal that one of the major candidates could be in jail for defying a gag order. A presidential candidate with a nomination essentially clinched in jail for violating a gag order. Yeah, and if you had to place bets, that would actually be the odds on favorite. (laughs) I mean, it would. And it's interesting, the more that this happens to him, the more momentum he seems to gain. And to your point, and I think it's astute, and it's one that I heard the Democrats on talking points sort of say, breaking points. When you bring charges, and they've brought so many charges, and the charges in New York, almost everyone across the board is like, those are stupid, that's dumb. The accused rape from 30 years ago, even his detractors are like, that's it's a little fishy. Then you have the, the the situation in Florida with the records. And people say, well, what about Biden and his records? I mean, he, he did it too. He had records in his Corvette, in his place in Delaware. And I'm not saying it's the same thing, but the general public doesn't have time to watch this hours and hours a day. They have lives. And they just hear the snapshots. And some people go, what's the difference? And then you have the J6 stuff, and people go, well, why are we doing that now? Why is this coming up now? Why didn't, why did, if, he, if, if he broke the law, why didn't you prosecute him in December of 21? Why didn't you come after him in the summer of 21? Why would you wait till the summer of 23? And it's almost as people go, I'm not sure this has a lot of credibility. They start almost, he becomes a sympathetic figure. And even though I don't believe Trump deserves sympathy because he's done so much of this to himself, I just think it's interesting that this is where our country's going. And like you, I can't find one thing about the scenario that we just laid out where I'm like, oh, that, that's a good that's a good thing for the future of our, of our nation. Well, and I think the other thing that people don't realize is like one of the reasons I kind of complained about people focusing on all the minutia is that when you listen to these charges about the confidential documents and all that kind of thing, yeah, if we're talking about just a legal case, then all that matters is did he break the law or not? But the problem is, is that there's an element of this where regardless of what is found in court, the public is going to have their own opinion of it. And when you listen to people talk about, you know, the document stuff, the things that I hear people say are things like, okay, so he has these confidential documents, but like he was the president and he had already seen these documents. And so conceivably this information was in his head. And if he's talking to somebody, like, what's to stop him from talking about this stuff? And their attitude from listening to these conversations seems to be like, maybe the law is kind of dumb. Now, I'm not saying that the law is dumb. I don't know the law well enough to evaluate it. But what I'm saying is, is that these are things that you hear people say. And when we're talking about the court case, those opinions don't really matter. 
Because, I mean, if you end up on a jury, they're going to instruct you as to what the law is. And that's the job of the prosecutor to make sure that you understand that and that you know why they believe that he violated the law. But there's an element of public opinion because the man is running for president. And so if people are like, well, yeah, I guess he probably did that. But like, do we do we need to send him to jail for that? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That makes him more sympathetic. And so, you know, I mean, it's hard to say with Trump because he's so polarizing that I, I you know, there's, n- I, I can't imagine that there's anybody out there who's just kind of like, you know, I really still can't make up my mind about this guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's like I, I read the numbers and it's 45 to 45. And I'm like, you mean there's 10% of people that really? Yeah. And I realize that it, that's not how polls work. And I, I get it. But I mean, at this point, it's difficult to believe that you don't have an opinion on Trump. I, I, I'll say this. It was we kind of move off Trump because I want to get to something else sort of Trump related. I think we have a lot of things going on in our country right now. A lot of issues that impact your children, my children, potentially our grandchildren, potentially our retirement, social security. I think we have a bit of a social culture war going on in our nation right now. Um, We have a monumental debt. Our country's credit rating just got bumped down, at least temporarily. Not sure that a lot of people really care. They don't really understand what that necessarily means. But regardless, interest rates are sky high. Uh, might go up more. Your 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 son Carson, my son Carson, might have a hard time buying a house ten years from now when they're in their mid to late twenties. Those things concern me. I think those things concern you. I think those things concern most people like us. And we're about to have an election if nothing changes. That is all going to be about one seventy eight year old man. We're not going to have a debate on issues. You know, I mean. This isn't about Ron DeSantis or about Gavin Newsom or any of those people, but sometimes I see them have, even though I, I disagree with some of the things that, that Newsom may say or a lot of the things that Newsom may say, but a lot of the things that Newsom says at least are policy-oriented, like climate change, um, you know, school choice, things that are policies. I, I might think, you're an idiot, but that's okay. And DeSantis, you know, DeSantis has a, a wildly unpopular view on on abortion that um, you know, could really hurt him politically. But but he, when when Ron DeSantis is interviewed, the conversation, once they get past Trump, the conversation becomes about policy. What happens with Donald Trump doesn't really impact you, Josh. It doesn't really impact me. The policies around our country, they do absolutely impact our lives and our children's lives. And one of the things I hate about this, where, the, where we're going with this, is while it's going to be great television, and it's going to be great podcast, and it's going to be fodder for people like you and me to have conversations about all the time that people will be enthralled to listen to. I mean, this is great news for CNN and Fox as they try to survive for just a little while longer. It's not great at all that we're not going to have substantive conversations about the things that actually impact us in our in our lives. No, when you look around... You know, one of the things I said last time was that I think that the problem in politics is 
is nihilism. And I said, well, and I, and I kind of outlined like ideologically how people get to nihilism, but it's not just ideologically. It's like you look around and you don't just have this belief that nothing matters. You're getting confirmation that nothing matters. <laughs> I mean, no one seems to be able to do anything. Like government agencies are constantly <laughs> screwing up. They, they, they're, they're not doing things correctly. Um, you know, we couldn't leave, you know, I mean, this is like the two year anniversary of leaving Afghanistan. And like, you know, that was a disaster. I mean, that was like, literally, I could have found, I, I think I could have found a 13 year old in my neighborhood and said, Hey, we got to leave Afghanistan. Here's a list of stuff, figure out how to get it out. And he probably could have done a better job than, uh, than, than the administration did. Couldn't have done worse. Yeah, no, it's impossible to have done worse. So the, Everywhere you look, you just see these failures. And if you just see these failures everywhere, then it just starts to reinforce this belief that like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's just, you know, um, all the, all, all this stuff is just kind of, it is what it is. It's nothing we can do about it. We're just floating along and, you know, eventually, uh, it'll all end or something. And it, it, I mean, that's, that's the inevitable sort of attitude that you get. I, I, I get point to the nihilist on this one. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of hard to argue with them when they say, hey, none of the stuff that you just talked about, Neil, matters. None of it. Nothing happens. I mean, I, here's here's an example of this. We want to hold Donald Trump accountable and say that no man or woman is above the law. Okay. In principle, I'm, I'm with you. If that's the case, Hunter Biden has to be prosecuted. And if that's the case, more importantly than Hunter Biden, I mean, Hunter Biden's just like this thug. I mean, he's just a bad person. But I'm not really sure Hunter Biden's done anything to really hurt me. You know, whatever. He used his family name very clearly, got his dad on a speakerphone, made millions of dollars to be an oil expert or an energy expert, even though the guy blew millions on hookers and blow. Literally. But that's his personal foibles. Whatever. What about Anthony Fauci? What about we know now? We know now that Anthony Fauci, in March of 2020, when your children were impacted and my children were impacted and people's businesses were impacted and people's livelihoods were impacted and people, countless people's mental health were impacted, that he knew was a lab leak. He knew it was a lab leak from a lab that he had funded. He knew that they had done gain-of-function research because he had approved it. He had funded. He participated in the cover-up. He knew when he said that the vaccine was a fix for this. He knew that it wasn't. He lied. He knew when they did the Omicron thing in a, a year later to scare the living hell out of people that, oh, this is here comes the variant that's going to get you, that that was going to result in a lot of young people getting a vaccine, Josh, that they didn't need. And not only that they didn't need, but that would kill some people. He knew that that vaccine would take lives from people who would not die otherwise. That's a, that's a hell of an accusation. It's a lot worse than Donald Trump keeping some documents. I mean, you would prosecute Trump because you think he, he tried to orchestrate an overthrow of the government? By all means. But if we're going to start going after the authority figures, let's go after the authority figures. Where's the punishment on Anthony Fauci? Because I got to tell you, I believe Anthony Fauci is a, cr a criminal. 
And I think everyone in Washington knows he's a criminal. And they either want to get him or they want to cover for him, which is a problem. I think he's kind of like, uh, I think that Fauci is sort of at the center of a lot of discussion because I think he epitomizes everything that a lot of us see wrong with the government. And that is the government works for us. We don't work for them. The, the government thinks that we need to be coddled and lied to. They very clearly don't believe that we're capable of making decisions on our own. I mean, if you look back at, um, you look back at the early part of the pandemic, Fauci was like, no, no, you shouldn't be wearing masks. Masks don't do anything. Like, it's not really going to help you. Don't wear masks. And then later on was like, oh, yeah, I wear masks. And then when they when somebody called him on it, he was like, well, I was just afraid that the hospitals would have mask shortages, you know, if I did that. Well, OK, here's how you prevent mask shortages at the hospital. You say to people. Hospitals need masks more than you do. Please be responsible, you know, when you are trying to acquire masks or, or whatever. The, the the But the idea is, is like, no, we just have to lie to people because otherwise they're just going to do what they want and we can't trust them to do the right thing. And that's the epitome of everything that happened with policy is that no one was ever trusted to do the right thing. No one was ever trusted to make decisions about anything. Everything had to be managed top down by the experts. Well, here's the problem with the experts. Number one, nobody has performed worse in the last like five years than someone who calls themselves an expert. I mean, immediately somebody who comes on television is like uh, su- such and such expert. Like you, you're immediately just like, uh, what's this guy going to say? Yeah. Because what does expert mean? Expert means that you have some, some expertise in something, but here's, here's the problem with expertise and here's the problem with expertise within the government. Uh, the great economist, Thomas Sowell has this, classic line in uh in his book knowledge and decisions where he's talking about like different kinds of knowledge and what does it mean to have knowledge and he says you know if i ask a little boy in a village to get me some water and i say you know do you know how to do that and he says yes he can prove it to me because he can run down to the well he can get some water he can come back he gives me the water and now you know i have water so he's proven that he knows how to get water Now you go to some government bureaucrat who's in charge of, you know, funding schools or some, you know, or, or, you know, some program and you say, um, how are we going to improve the schools? Show me that, you know, that you're an expert in improving the schools. Now, in principle, what the evidence would be that they enact policies and the schools improve. But in reality, what tends to happen is it's just like, well, I can do that, but I'm going to have to do this, this, and this, and that's going to require this much more money. And then they always have an excuse as to why it didn't work out. And the problem here is, is that this is, this is the, this is the kind of expertise that we see is we see these experts who first of all are perform poorly in their role in terms of their actual expertise. But then you also have them performing poorly in a role where they have no expertise. So the idea that he should be dictating what kind of policies that you put in place, he's not, that's not his expertise. His expertise is not to say, okay, hey, how do we, 
how do we balance the trade-off between preventing people from getting sick and the economic harm that we're going to do from closing things down? He's not qualified to do that. That's not his expertise. He can't, he, he can't do that cost-benefit analysis. He has no expertise. He, do, he wouldn't even know what the economic harm would be because he doesn't know how to estimate it. He, do, he wouldn't know the first thing about starting that process. But yet he's making these policies, and then when people ask them, you know, about it, he explicitly says, well, you know, um, I'm not an economist, or I'm not thinking about that. And it's like, well, here's the deal. You should be thinking about that. Right. You can't just say, well, that's not my expertise, or I'm just not worried about that. That's not how cost-benefit analysis works. You know, I, I when you're building a building, you know, and somebody is, like, going over the plans— and they say, well, you know, it turns out that, um, you know, because of the ground that this sits on, it's going to have to have a different foundation and that's going to cost you, you know, such and such, you know, amount of money. You can't just say, well, I don't know anything about that. So, you know, let's just disregard that. No, you're going to pay the money. Like there's no option there. There's no, you know, like the cost is going to be borne regardless of whether you understand it or not. And that is the fundamental problem. And you have all of these experts who go around and they, and they tout their expertise and, and, and it's so like, it's so unclear because in one, in one sense, like as economists, what we emphasize all the time is how much society benefits from specialization. You know, it's much, much better for me to be able to go to a bakery and buy, you know, a cake or fresh baked bread or something like that, then do it myself. Why? Because chances are the baker is better at doing it than I am. Sure. And so what we should do is we should do what we're best at. And so specialization is good. But we've also gotten to this point where there's a certain segment of the population who's sort of like, well, that's their specialization, so they know better than me what to do. And to some extent, that's correct. But, but to some extent, when these people are pushing the boundaries of their expertise beyond their genuine expertise, that fails. Also, you, you can also just have people who are not uh, great experts. They're just not very competent. And people just completely discount this. But I mean, but part of, part of what's going on with him is that with the entire thing, uh, with the entire like pandemic-related anything... Everything became about teams and everything became about slogans, you know, mm-hmm. and um, everybody, you know, said, trust the experts, some, some of whom said it sarcastically. Uh, but, you know, that was the thing is like, well, I'm going to trust the experts. I'm going to trust the experts. But then the experts were not only wrong on things, uh, but they, they were they were knowingly wrong. Right. They were going beyond their expertise. They were wrong in ways that they knew that they were wrong. Yes. And not only that, but they... They were telling deliberate lies on purpose yes. because they thought that that was in the best interest of the country or the or the public or whatever is was to lie to them. And what they don't seem to realize, and and I saw this right away when when I heard the thing about well you know we lied about the masks when he said that well you know we we just we didn't want there to be a shortage at the hospital. I immediately was like oh no this is going to be really bad because. They're telling people things that turn out to be false. And once you do that, you lose all credibility. 
you know, some people might, you know, might continue to go along because they because they look at you and they trust your expertise. But a lot of people are going to start looking at you and going, well, are in two months from now, are you going to tell me the opposite? What's the underlying motive here? Are you telling me this because you have some uh, ulterior and, motive? And they have. Now they're telling you, hey, you don't, you shouldn't wear an N95 outside for more than an hour at a time, that it's not good for you. You get the little fibers or whatever, and that we, 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 we're seeing the myocarditis and the, there's the, you know, the, the young people dropping. And look, I'm not saying that's vaccine related, but you can't say it's not, you don't know. We should be getting, and we should be getting to the bottom of it. We should be digging into what is the cause of this. Is is it vaccine related? But because no, if it is, if it is vaccine related, well, that means that we have to admit that they lied. And then you got to dig into, did they know they were lying? Because now you're into the Trump thing. Hey, Trump was wrong. Well, did he know he was wrong? Because if he knew he was wrong, we got to lock him up. Right? Okay. Did Fauci know that not only did the vaccine not work, and it didn't work. I mean, it, d- it didn't work. You can't call it a vaccine. It, it didn't prevent the spread. It didn't prevent infection. It didn't lessen infection. Failed. It's one of the things, frankly, that Trump should be have to explain as he runs for re-election. Is that 2020 for Donald Trump, he was the one Operation Warp Speed. Right? I mean, everybody was pro-vaccine until Trump was out, and then they were anti-vaccine. To your point, it's all teams. Well, Trump was one of the reasons for that. Trump said, I'm going to drain the swamp, and then he basically handed over those decisions to the people who'd been in the swamp forever. But back to Fauci and back to the people like that. Did you know in 2021, when the Omicron thing happened and you started pushing for more and more vaccinations, did you know that by doing this, we're, we're, we're killing people? I, I think the answer to that is that they probably did. Well, and I think, but, it, but they were so tied in with Merck and and with Pfizer and with the money. They, I mean, Fauci for a bureaucrat is one wealthy dude. I mean, so what? What was the motivation? We should be able to get to the bottom of those things, but we can't. The media can't do it because who's their biggest advertiser? Pfizer. We we can't get to those places. And it, it's back for me. It's back to full circle. With yes, this is going to be this dramatic election. I'm going to be, as you probably hear it, I'm going to be really frustrated that this is what we're talking about. Well, and this is well. First of all, let me let me say this. From now on, like part of the part of the process of hiring these high level government employees is we need to go to their house and see if they have a a portrait of themselves hanging on the wall next to their desk because <laughs> good, good if, point. because if they do, that's that's a red flag. Um, but the but fair. All, but also part of this is is like all of this stuff all of the stuff is always bound to to come out so even when you're doing these noble lies the truth is going to eventually be revealed and you have to be thinking about what is going to happen when that happens and how that's going to affect not only you know, what's going on now, but what goes on in the future. Because if you undermine the trust of the American people, then the American people are just not going to listen to you anymore. And so even if you actually have some valuable expertise to lend to the public, why should they believe you? Because the last time you, you, you lied to them. I mean, I think like the lab leak thing is the most kind of egregious thing because 
we now know that like behind the scenes, you had a lot of people expressing concerns that like, hey, this probably came out of the lab. Hey, there's a lab there and that lab does the kind of research where something like this could happen. And there were these people who were whispering that behind the scenes. But then those very same people were signing letters that were like, nope, it's impossible. It could not have been, could not have come from the lab. And to me, like that is where I think that they're probably in the most trouble because there's very, very clear indications that people were privately concerned about things, but publicly saying that it wasn't a concern at all. And I think in their minds, they justify this as like, oh, this is just one of these noble lies, right? We just, you know, we just, we just say this and that, um, and, you know, because we were trying to shape public opinion. I mean, that's the other problem. They need to stop worrying about what the public believes. Like they, they, they simultaneously think that the general public is kind of a bunch of idiots, but they're also really, really concerned with like what those idiots think. Like, oh, we just need to get them to think this particular way, or we just need to tell them that this is all expertise across government. Like it's just constantly like they act like the general public is ignorant, but then simultaneously, like they're just trying to like constantly like shape the, the opinions of, of, of the general public. And in doing so, they undermine their own expertise. They undermine uh, the trust that they have with these people that, you know, and, and maybe they don't care because they just think, you know, these are ignorant people and we just need to get them to do what they want to do. But I would argue that a government that works for the people does not have people within it who look down on those people and think that those people are, uh, you know, aren't smart enough to make their own decisions. What is <laughs> the... It's not exactly related, but it was the funniest part of the Al Sharpton tweet, right? Where he says, can you imagine Thomas Jefferson and, and, and James Madison revolting against the government? It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of can. Yeah, Al. It's not hard to imagine. As a matter of fact, it, I think that may have happened. It can work out a whole scenario, <laughs> how that could play out. You know. Might dump some tea into a harbor and we kind of see where things go from there. I mean, I, I don't know. I there there is a. I realize Sharpton's not a government employee, but the point is he's part of the. There's just there's a there's an assumption that the people are stupid, and I don't think that's a good thing, coming from government. There there there's there. There's a lot of truth that needs to be told. There's a lot of things that need to be explained and talked about, and we're not doing that because we're making it a soap opera. I don't well, the other problem too is that a lot of the people who are the most overbearing about restrictions and about doing things never, they never admitted that they were wrong about anything. What they did was they just had this moment. I think this was about a year ago. You started seeing these things all of a sudden there would be op-eds in like the New York times and the Washington post and the LA times. And they'd be like, um, it's time, it's time for a reset. Like, let's just forget. And it's like, yeah, you want to forget because you were yep. the one who was wrong and who was yep. telling people to do these things that they didn't need to do. That's why you want to reset. Yep. And it's like, that's not how, that's not how that works. Nope. Like you don't, you don't, uh, make a huge mistake and then 
not apologize, but still bring it up like, oh, we just need to move past this. And it's like, no, that's not that that's not how that works. Yeah, that's my point. And, and it's, you're exactly right. And I appreciate you kind of steering it back to that because that's that's my point is that people say, why? Because I get people that get mad at me. Why can't you let it go? OK, you want the personal reason or do you want the con- conceptual reason? Because the personal reason, I can give you some personal reasons why I have a hard time letting it go. I mean, it, it harmed people in my physically and emotionally in my life unnecessarily. I'm a firm believer that we now know, and I think we knew then, we didn't have to close the colleges. Your, your students were fine. No, and that was the thing. That's, that's the most frustrating thing. Here's the school thing. that I think we talked very early on in the pandemic, and I said the schools should be open. Mm-hmm. You did. And, Absolutely. And I said that, in, in March of yes. 2020, you said that. Yeah. And I said that we already had a bunch of data from Europe and the data from Europe suggested that kids were not getting it, that it wasn't that it wasn't being widely transmitted in schools. And I said the schools should be open. And there are a lot of people who disagreed with me on that. There are a lot of people who argued with me about that. Um, but I think that but. First of all, the evidence is in, and the data that we had from Europe was good, as it should be. Why would it be any different? Why would we not? Why would we think that Europe is somehow different than us? It's all the same virus. We're all humans, and and the other thing is that the people who argued with me did not argue with me on the basis that of cost benefit analysis. They did not ever say things like, well, yeah, it's going to be bad for them to be out of school, but the threat of the virus is just too much. That's not the argument that they made. The argument that they made was like, oh, if we send them back to school, lots more people are going to get sick. And my retort was, okay, what happens to kids when you don't send them to school? What happens when they can't go to school? What happens when they're not learning? And what happens, like, that's the other thing that people don't seem to realize. You know, I rail and rail on public schools, and I will continue to do that uh, because I think that they're unacceptable. But I think that one thing that public schools do that is not actually not part of their mission, but it's a thing that they effectively do, is they provide a safe place for children to go, and they provide them with meals, and they provide them with safety, and they provide them with good mentorship. And they, and, you know, these are things that these kids need. And, so setting aside the education loss, I mean, how many kids were left in uh, violent homes? How many kids were left in places where they're not going to get enough food to eat? And you can say, oh, well, the government sent people checks. Like how much of that, how much, how much of that money got spent on food? Like when you look at these things, you have to take into account the, the costs. And it was obvious. It was obvious that the schools should not have been closed and people still were pushing for the schools to be closed and, and you know, and we know, we now yep. know that we are correct. And here's how we know that we're correct. We're correct because all of the people who run teachers unions are going around today saying, look, I wanted to open the schools. <laughs> I wanted to open the schools. Like none no, of us no. heard them. Like no, none of us didn't. heard them talk. Well, you sure were quiet about it, babe. No. I mean, no, 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 no. And, and now not only that, we have the evidence that's in that, that what people like you and I said would happen. Again, I'm, I'm going to do the I'm going to do the thing. The ACT scores, they're, they're plummeting. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. We've been taking the ACT for how long, kids? I mean, you took it. I yeah. took it. Years. People took it before you and me took it. 
and now it's dropping? Come on. You don't, you don't think there might be a correlation? I can almost guarantee you there's a correlation. So if ACT scores are dropping, what does that tell you? There's been a learning loss. So if there's a learning loss for even kids like mine, what happened to the kids that didn't have the means? There wasn't a learning loss. There was a complete lack of learning. There was a learning stoppage at critical ages. And then you, the psychological damage that we did to young people. And so, no, there, there's, there, in anything, right, we, we, J6 happened. We're still investigating it. Great. Okay. It was a bad look. It shouldn't have happened. No question. You want to call it an attempt to overthrow a government? I kind of disagree, but I get it. Whatever. You want to call it a coup? They, they didn't have many weapons for a coup, but there were people that were running around swinging stuff. Stuff happened. It shouldn't have happened. It was bad. No question. And we're investigating it. We're getting to the bottom of it. Why? Why? Oh, it, the, the reason should be, well, we're going to hold accountable those who were responsible, and we're going to prevent it from never happening again. And that's me with the pandemic and our response to it, which was fundamentally flawed. It was horrific. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to hold the people who committed atrocities, and I do think they were atrocities, uh, accountable. And then we need to make sure that that's not the way we handle another one. Well, but this is this ties together, actually. I think most of what we talked about is like one of the things that I'm biggest, one of the things that's my biggest concern is we increasingly seem to live in a society of like um, anarcho tyranny. So for some people, anything goes. And for other people, we're going to give you uh, very severe punishments. And I mean, like a, a prime example of this sort of thing is you think about San Francisco. In San Francisco, you have all of this widespread crime. There's so much crime that major retailers are like, yeah, we're just going to close our store in San Francisco because there's so much crime. But there's all this crime. No one does anything about it. They're not prosecuted. This is a deliberate policy of San Francisco. They're not going to punt. They're, they're just, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to enforce these things. And so you have a huge population of homeless people mm -hmm. openly doing drugs on the street. Not only are they openly doing drugs on the street, but they're given money and they're also given clean needles that they can use to give themselves to administer the drugs. Okay. So you have, so you have that going on. And then at the same time, Elon Musk changes the name of Twitter and he tries to take down the Twitter sign and the police show up and they're like, do you have a permit for this? <laughs> this is, this is, this epitomizes the fundamental problem that we have. And that is that the law just seems to be selectively applied. And if, and, and it gets back to all, all, all of the stuff that we've talked about. If the mm -hmm. law is selectively applied, then you're going to have civilizational breakdown because people are only going to tolerate that for so long. If people, if homeless people in San Francisco are allowed to do whatever they want, if people are allowed to, you know, just, you know, do heroin on the street and people are allowed to come into businesses and steal things and no one stops them and no one calls the police. And even if they call the police, no one prosecutes them. 
what kind of incentives do you think that that creates? But then at the same time, if you're punishing people and you're like, you know, calling the police because somebody doesn't have a permit to take down a sign, like this is not a serious, that's, I'm sorry, but that's not a serious city. That's not a serious government. That's not a serious place. It's not a serious police force. It's not, a, no. yeah. It's, it, it, so it makes you wonder well, who pulls the strings of the police force. Yeah, is, and it, is it the government? Is it is it the federal government telling the state government? I mean, where does it where does it stop? Well, and also with the police force, I mean, it, the police can even if the police have the best of intentions, like if they know that somebody's not going to be prosecuted, they're not going to show up. Like if you know if, if you call the police in San Francisco and say, "Hey, this person robbed us," those police officers know that that person's not going to be prosecuted. So in their minds, they're like, "Why are we going to show up? We're just going right. to have to do a report. They're not going right. to do you know they're not going to do anything about it." And, and that's the biggest problem is that you can't have, you, you can't, you, you can't have this system where some things are, are punished and some things, you know, you have to follow the letter of the law. And then on other things, it's just anything goes, we're not going to enforce that stuff. That's the little stuff. Who cares? Yeah. Well put. I could do, I could keep going and going and going, but we've, we've hit hour 15. We probably should stop. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. When we come back. It'll be. Roughly August the 23rd, August 23rd. It's my dad's birthday, August 23rd. We'll be a week away, basically, from football season. We'll be right three days away from the week zero games, which really make no sense that you call it week zero. It should be week one, but regardless. Um, anyway, we'll appreciate it all the time very much. I've gotten great feedback on this show. People love, um, they love listening to you. They actually think that you make me sound calmer, so... That's a that's a good thing. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate you being here. I enjoy doing it. It's a blast. All right, we'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for um, listening. Please tell a friend, uh, retweet us or re-X us or whatever the, the the word is. I think it's repost us now. So repost us uh, somewhere. Tell a friend. Put it on Facebook. That kind of thing. We love to uh, continue to see the show grow. Until next time, take care. <laughs>